The cannabis industry is growing almost as fast as the cannabis and hemp being planted and harvested. Where, when, and how fast will the cannabis and hemp industries continue to climb? Who will be the people leading the charge into that promised land of profit? Let's pursue those answers and more with The Plant Profits, powered by Protus Global. Thank you for joining us here on Plant Profits. I'm Vern Davis. I am your host. Plant Profits is fueled by Protus Global People Solutions. And thanks again for joining us today. I'm real excited, been looking forward to this conversation uh, with my next guest here. Uh, my next guest started in the illicit market, went to jail, paid his dues. Then he got the golden ticket, social equity cultivator's license. Now he's built a family business that will build generational wealth for himself and his family, of course. And we're all in, in uh, search of doing that for our family. So that's going to be an exciting part of our conversation. My guest is the founder of Ball Family Farms, the first vertically integrated minority-owned social equity commercial cannabis facility in the City of Angels, Los Angeles. Chris Ball. Chris Ball, good morning. How are you, man? Hey, man, that was a great introduction, man. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, uh, good morning uh, to everyone out there. Uh, good morning, Vern. Nice to meet you, my brother. Uh, it's an honor to be on here and be able to, to talk some cannabis and uh, generational wealth. So thank you for having me. Well, I'd love to do that. I'm excited about that, man. So look, uh, your background and your journey is so, so interesting to me. Uh, and, and maybe not as unique as people would think it could be. Um, we, we, we all know folks that have had a journey, right? Like that. So I really, I want to go back. I want to go back to LA back in the day. Where'd you grow up in LA? Um. I was born on uh, 94th and Hoover, brother, in South Central Los Angeles. Okay. So I was born there, um, but I grew up, I actually grew up in a small little suburb about an hour east of there uh, called Roland Heights. Okay. So, so what's where, the significance of that hour? So that hour, um, <laughs> it just, you know, it takes you away from yeah. the bullets and uh, it takes you away from the drug dealing and, and gang fighting like out in front of the house. Yeah. It takes, it takes you about an hour away from that East. So that, that's the significance of that hour. Um, but that's you know, yeah, but yeah, man. So, you know, uh, being born over there, I, I, I left, uh, my, my mom was smart enough to get me out of South central, uh, by the age of seven. Um, okay. and it was only because, you know, my uncles and, you know, my cousins, everybody was, you know, I lived right there on Hoover, which is a really big um, Crip gang right yeah. there in Los Angeles. So my uncles and, and every and cousins, everybody were getting into gangs and drug dealing very heavy. I saw a lot, you know, um, one of my friends was shot in the stomach, you know what I'm saying, at that age already. Um, you mean that you're I, talking about before you left at seven? You saw I this. left. Yeah, yeah, before I left. Yeah, this happened before I left. Um there were shootings outside of my um, outside of my preschool, you know, that I can remember playing out there on the playground and watching two dudes run down the street, shooting back and forth at each other. Yeah. Um, so it was really, you know, it was rough, man. We're talking, you know, 19, I think, 84, I believe. Mm 
Um, so it, it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't a, a safe time. So my mom uh, was smart enough to try to get me out of there, you know, very early and move me to the suburb where I could kind of transition, you know? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, smart lady. She, yeah, she knew she had a, she had a vision for you, Chris, you know, and it wasn't it that, it was you not know, that. it wasn't that. So you went, you went to this place an hour from South Central LA. You grew up, Now, how did you get there? Tell me about sports and the role sports played yeah. in your life. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, so once I got uh, to Roland Heights, yeah. you know, that's kind of where the transition came in. It was kind of culture shock. There were a lot of white kids um, running around where I was used to seeing black and brown, you know, typically every day. Um, right. So I came in, you know, in into school there and um, I started to make the transition. But, you know, there were not many black kids there. So I became, you know, I, where I thought it was going to well, I guess maybe where you would think it would be a racial thing where I would mm -hmm. be an outcast, it wasn't. You know, the white kids pretty much were kind of fascinated by by me and my ability to run fast and dance and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> shit like that, man. So it was like, you know, I was really embraced. You know, I was, I was embraced early on. You know, everybody wanted to be my friend. Everybody wanted to play on my team at recess. So, yeah. it, you know, it was, a, it was an easy transition for me. And that's where, you know, my stepfather... Uh, put a football in my hand, you know, okay. and was like, hey, you know, channel some of that energy you got and some of that, you know, maybe some anger I was kind of holding on to being away from my cousins and my family and stuff like that. Sure. You know, he put the football in my hand at eight and it was on. It was on after that. You know what I mean? I made all stars every year. You know, I yeah. started playing football like crazy and it, it just became, you know. I what became, high school? What high school, Chris? This this was so this is so when I started playing football in Roland Heights, I was playing in the junior all American league. Um okay. in that city from the time I was eight until I got to high school, which was Roland High School. Um, okay. And I played my freshman year at Roland, but we were trash. And my dad, <laughs> my stepdad was not happy about it. He was okay. like, this kid has way more potential than what this school can offer him. So he packed us up. And at my freshman year and moved us again out to Rialto, where I attended Eisenhower High School. Okay. And he there moved you go. us there just, for, just so that I could play football. At, like, a, at a level at a, that would challenge you. Yeah. Yeah, at, at a CIF Division One level that would, you know, that would challenge me and, and put me around some kids that had my ability. Yeah. And I went to high school there and, and he was right, man. We won, I won a national championship uh, my junior year. Uh, in 1994, with uh, with the Eisenhower Eagles, we beat Modern Day 56 to three. Whoa! We had a bunch of a bunch of uh, talented guys. Um, our probably our biggest standout probably then was R.J. Sauer. He wound up getting drafted. Um, yeah. In the first round by the Jacksonville Jaguars, and he yeah. was a really good friend of mine. So yeah, it panned right. out. It worked out. It worked no, out. that was that was a good plan. So what yeah. what what role did the drugs play up until? Before you went off, we're going to talk right. about where you went, but what role right. did the drugs play in your life? So drugs came in, obviously, you know, I, I remember drugs, you know, back when I was in L.A., you know, right. in preschool, you know, for that. Right. I remember seeing my uncles out there, you know, selling dope, you know, selling weed on the street. Um, right. And then when I got to Rolling Heights, when I trained, when we got to Rolling Heights, um, my cousin, ironically enough, my younger cousin, when I was 16, um, gave me my first my first ounce of weed to sell. And mm. at this point, he's living in Roland Heights, but I'm living in Rialto. Okay. Mm. But we would see each other all the time because 
my stepfather and his stepfather both were professional bowlers. They were brothers. So on the weekends, I would either go over there. I would normally go out back to Rolling Heights and hang out there. You now, wait a minute. What age were you again? 16. Ooh, okay. 16. Okay. But it was, you know, growing up, it, 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 we felt like cigarettes to me because from the time I was eight until the time, well, until I can remember, my yeah. dad, my stepdad, he smoked weed in the house. So okay. after, after we'd have dinner, my dad yeah. would go over to the couch, pull his tray out from underneath the couch and roll up his joint and sit there on the couch and smoke his joint after dinner. Man ahead of his time, Chris. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> it was like they were running the Just Say No campaign, and I'm going to school like, what you mean, Just Say No? My dad smoked this. Like, my cousin smoked this. this exactly. Right? Exactly. No, so that's, that's kind of where it, it came. You know, that's where the idea of, of marijuana came into my brain as, okay, this is not something that's bad. Why is it Just Say No? My dad smokes it. You know, my yeah. uncle smoked it. My grandma smoked it. Uh, yeah, I was like, I don't get it. You know, so it was mean? it was part of the roots, man. It was it was it was part of the environment, and man, you know, it, I, absolutely, we, we all saw it. Hey, look, we're gonna take a break. We're gonna come back, yeah. and we're gonna see how, how how in the hell you went to Northern California. So we're we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. Absolutely. We'll continue our discussions with the founder of Ball Family Farms, Mr. Chris Ball, having some fun. We'll be back. Plant Profits will return so our sponsors can profit from these messages. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. The plant profits are back to lead the pursuit of the promised land of plant profit. Only on cannabisradio.com. Welcome back. I'm Vern Davis your host today, uh, Plant Profits, fueled by Protus Global People Solutions. We're here with Chris Ball. Chris Ball of Ball Family Farms, the first vertically integrated minority-owned social equity commercial cannabis facility in Los Angeles. And Chris and I were just, we're talking about his childhood and, and, how, and, and how cannabis got into his life and when did it start to form some impressions and that's what we're doing right now. We're going to move forward. So, uh, Chris, so you you went to Cal. You you went up to Ber how did this how did this happen? Man, so so how I got to Berkeley was uh, yeah. after I graduated um, high school, I took a year off, um, did some touring and stuff like that with an R and B group by the name of Immature uh, back in the day. Okay, and. Um, wind up actually, you know, forming my own group and, and getting a record deal on Virgin. But 
it, it just really wasn't where my heart was. You know, I was okay. out there, I was on tour, uh, we were having some success. And, um, you know, I would see football, you know, back on, on the TV, I would see training camp, I would see mini camp, man, and I would just get really sad. And it got to the point where my group members and my manager could see and feel the fact that I wasn't happy. Got it. So, you know, they came to me and they said, look, man, if you really want to leave, you know, if you're really not happy, go ahead. So I left and I went back. I left the group. We were in the middle of tour. I packed up my stuff. I left and I went back uh, back to uh, Roland Heights and I attended uh, Mount Sac Junior College. OK. Started back playing football. OK. Played football there. Sold weed out of my backpack to put myself through school. Okay. You know, and then okay. um, wind up getting a full-blown ride scholarship, athletic scholarship to go to the University of California, Berkeley to play football. So that's how I ended up in the Bay Area. That's how you, that's, that's how, now during this time, you were still engaged with, oh, yeah. with cannabis, oh, yeah. right? Oh, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, my cousin, like I said before, before we took the break, my cousin Earl um, actually gave me my first ounce and showed me how to break that down, showed me how to sell it, you know, yeah. showed me all that stuff. And uh, once he showed me that, I was so fascinated by it. I was so fascinated by how fast the money came and I was fascinated by him. You know, he was my little rich cousin who, you know, was balling. Yeah. And so I just soaked up the game from him. I just, you know, it was like, you know, Daniel LaRusso becoming Mr. Miyagi. I just took everything that he was doing and I amplified it. So when I got to, to Mount Sac, it was yeah. easy. You know, every ball, my peers and stuff smoked weed uh, in junior college on campus. I was like, it was ready made. Like I just stepped on campus and it was like, everybody knew who to come to if they wanted some treats. And Unbelievable. So there you go. Gas in my car, my books, <laughs> all that stuff. Sharp in school. You, you're a man ahead of your time, brother. Right. That's what was going on there. You know, right. you're a man ahead of your time. So, okay. So when did it all go bad? So after, after, uh, after, um, Berkeley, after, uh, six years of, uh, of pro football, okay. I got back, I came back to LA. Um, I was done. I had retired. Um, I had finished my last season over in Canada, which is where I got bit by the bug of, of cultivating actually when I was playing in the CFL. Um, that's where I kind of started, you know, learning that, Hey, there's more to this plant than just, you know, buying it from Julio. Okay. It. Uh, hold on, Chris. So, so you spent a couple years in the NFL, right? I spent uh, I spent uh, a, two years uh, in the NFL, but I was on the practice practice roster. Okay, uh, uh, with with the Niners, and then went over to NFL Europe in Berlin, Germany. Okay, so you went up to that's when NFL Europe was. Man, that was a good league. It was a good league. I played for the Berlin Thunder. It yeah, was awesome. I loved it. I yeah, loved it. yeah, I had a good time. Yeah, and, and then then you came back to Canada. And I came back, yeah, and I was gonna sign. Uh, I was gonna sign a deal with uh, the Baltimore Ravens, but I, you know, they were lagging. So the CFL called, and I signed my first contract with uh, British Columbia with the BC Lions over in Vancouver. Okay, great and when I city. Got to Vancouver. Vancouver's a great city. Great city. <laughs> I love it, man. It's, yeah, it reminds, it's a lot. Reminds me a lot of LA, honestly. Yeah. Um, got over to Vancouver, and that's when I got bit by the bug of uh, a growing of actually okay. of seeing the plant. You know actually from start to finish. That well, how did that happen? Myself. How did that, uh, so, how did that come together? Yeah. Yeah. So a teammate of mine um, was with this girl over there, this Canadian girl and her brother was a grower. Okay. Um, so during after practice and sometimes after games, you know, her brother would invite us over to his farm. 
you know what I mean, to kind of walk around because he knew we were California boys and he understood what we, how valuable it was in California, especially in Los Angeles. It didn't have the same value over in Canada because it was legal and it was everywhere. Okay. So that's where he, you know, took a liking to us because he's like, look, you know, I can give you this stuff, you know, at this number, you guys can sell it down there for a mm-hmm. cert- for a different number. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't mind telling you this now because uh, uh, <laughs> what is that statute of limitations? And stuff like that. <laughs> but you know, we we had started trafficking, you know, from Canada in, into into the U.S. You know, we yeah. would, we would pack up and drive across the border and drop weed down here in L.A. for ourselves in the off season, and that's how oh. I supplemented my income. But the the idea of cultivating started there with him. You know, okay. we'd go over and I'd see the plants at week two, at week okay. four. And I'd be like, damn, how yeah. does this, you know, and then I see it all the way to week eight, week nine, and they're fully grown buds, fully, fully vibrant. And I'm like, holy shit, man, this process is, oops, I'm sorry. My, can I cuss? My hey, 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 it's adult radio. <laughs> you beat that up. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's where the fascination became with that, with, with, with cultivating. Um, so I finished Canada. I'm done with Canada. Uh, I come, um, I come back to L.A., um, money ain't, ain't what it's supposed to be. Um, okay. so then I go back into distribution into selling. And okay. at this point, this is where I linked up, um, with a very, very heavy guy that was working for a heavy, heavy, uh, drug cartel. Um, and I got involved with him and about six months later, uh, the feds were knocking at my door telling me I was looking at a 10 year mandatory minimum for distributing marijuana across the United States, 2000 pounds. Well, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> that's, that's a, a, a carload. That's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> so, no, so no okay, so this goes down. How long did you go away for? So I was looking at a 10-year mandatory minimum. I, I signed a deal, a plea deal uh, for three years, but I, okay. only served, I only served a month in prison before I, um, I bailed out. I bailed myself out. And um, I, uh, fortunately for me, I had a really great attorney who said that um, after I signed my plea deal and I, ba- I bailed out, I was on pretrial release. And um, my attorney worked out a deal with the judge and said, hey, my client does not have to report for sentencing until your target, which is the number one on the case, has stopped fighting the case and has been sentenced. Well, that fight went on for four years. That number oh. one on that case, the target, he fought that case for four years. So by the time he was done, I'd been out on pretrial release and hadn't gotten an ounce of trouble and had been holding a job for that four years. Got Turned it. Turned a thousand hours of community service. So by the time I went in, the judge, my, my lawyer argued, hey, this has been hanging over his head for four years. He's mm-hmm. rehabilitated. He's had, he hasn't gotten any trouble. He's done community service. And the judge looked at me and told me, Mr. Ball, I've never seen somebody turn in this many hours of community service. You are free to go. You have time served. And I walked out of there a free guy. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. I'm glad. I'm happy. Yeah. I'm happy. So now, now let's let's talk about when all of this education you got since mm-hmm. basically you were eight years old, mm-hmm. you put it, you put it to work, you made some money, you got in trouble, you, you did your dream. You played professional football. Yep. You know, you played it in yep. three places. You played it, <laughs> you played it in the US, you played it in Europe, you played it in Canada, you got football done. Yep. Right, yep. you went to jail. You come out. You learn about cultivation. Your your thought process, man, about the about the plant changed. Yeah, 
Yeah, it, 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 it went into a different direction. So how did it get to this? So how we got to this is when yeah. I was in prison um, for that month, there's a, there's a place in prison called the Law Library. And this is a place that, you know, inmates go and you study other cases and you meet mm-hmm. other people, you know, who are kind of studying their, ca- studying their case. You know, when you go to federal prison, it's not like it's not like state prison, right? It's not county. If you're in federal prison, you are successful at what you did. Whatever you were doing, you made some money doing it. You yeah. weren't a petty, you're not a petty criminal. You're you're an advanced criminal, right? You're a you baller. Get involved. Right. <laughs> so while I was in there, I was talking to a couple guys in the law library and they were asking me about my case. And they're like, man, you got charged with, you know, 2,000 pounds. Like, what were you doing? Like, you were just middlemanning that weed? And I'm like, yeah. They're like, well, how much were you making? I'm like, oh, about 50 bucks, you know, sometimes 25 bucks a pound. Mm-hmm. And they go, why weren't why didn't why weren't you just growing the weed? And there, and we start we started doing the math. Had okay. you done two thousand pounds and you grew the weed, <laughs> you would have made probably a thousand dollars a pound off the weed instead of middlemanning it, buying it from the grower and only making fifty on the transaction. So a light went off in my head. I said, you know what? You're right. I said, why was I doing that? Plus, I'd already been bit by that bug in Canada, right? I already knew who I could call to kind of give me some advice. Man, you know what, Chris? <laughs> I tell you what. You know what they always say, follow the money. Follow the follow money. Follow the money. That, I went in the prison <laughs> with, a, with a diploma and came out with a master's. Absolutely. Uh, that's great. That That is that is awesome. Uh, Chris, thank, thanks for joining us. Thank you all for joining us. I'm Vern Davis, your host of Plant Profits, uh, fueled here by Protus Global People Solutions. You can download episodes of Plant Profits by going to CannabisRadio.com or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get, you know, your major podcasts where you listen to your podcasts, iHeartRadio, et cetera. Follow Protus Global through our social network including LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Man, we are everywhere. We're all over the web. Finally, learn more about how we are building companies and changing lives at Protus Global People Solution. And that's ProtusGlobal.com. P-R-O-T-I-S Global.com. Until next time, cheers. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.